Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Pollock is getting ready to uh, mold young minds this week, so we had to go out and get a few members of the RLR staff first up uh, to add a little bit of fun and lightheartedness to what could be a pretty heavy episode. We got our own Mike Treb. Mike, what's going on, buddy? Bill, I'm good. I'm, I'm still a little disappointed, yes. but I'm good. I'm ready to talk it through. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk through it. And for purposes of talking through it, I figured uh, I'd go and I'd get the the site's only uh, Mets, Jets, and I would say Knicks fan, but they're currently running the Cleveland Cavaliers off the floor. Uh, Noel Purcell. Noel, what's happening, pal? That, that they are. Frank Neal uh, is the real deal, baby. Um, but, you know, I'm mostly... Sports have made me sad, so it's it's what I'm used to. Yeah, and if you are listening to this podcast and you don't know why we're sad right now, um, God bless you because you have yeah. you, you have a much happier existence than we probably do right now. Uh, over the weekend, Penn State went into Columbus, played Ohio State. Uh, the team was up thirty-five to twenty heading into the fourth quarter, but a torrid fourth quarter by the Buckeyes, namely by J.T. Barrett, and uh, just a. a, a an incredible performance by the Buckeye defensive line may it completely change the game, especially in the final frame. Uh, the Buckeyes outscored Penn state 19 to three in the fourth quarter. They ended up winning 39, 38, uh, moved the Buckeyes to seven and one on the year with a five and O conference. Mark Penn state is now seven and one with a four and one conference. Mark trace McSorley 17 for 29, 192 yards and a pair of scores. McSorley and Barkley both, uh, found the end zone on the ground. Barkley was kind of bottled up. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, but he was bottled up in the rushing game. He did house a uh, kickoff for a touchdown, the opening kickoff. It was very fun. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, JT Barrett had, it really cannot be said enough, and I'm sure we're going to mention it, plenty of times over the course of this episode how good of a game that he had. And ultimately, uh, you know, the team that had, the fifth-year starting quarterback and was hosting the game and has been recruiting at an ungodly level for the last, you know, five or six years, was able to pull this one out in the end. So we'll start, uh, usually ask this to Nick. Of course he's not here, so uh, Treb, I'll start with you. What did we learn from watching Penn State uh, fall in the regular season for the first time since last year against Michigan? Well, I think the biggest thing that stands out is the depth the depth issues and it really challenged Penn State right from the start defensively when Buckholtz goes down. It what was it, the second play um, so something like of the that. game. And then you it's, know it was uh, shocking early. For him, so. Right, right. And, and so right there then you look at Penn State's defensive line then having to rotate differently, just do things differently. I think certainly they had a plan going in and right away you have to switch that up because you lose a very productive member of that unit and then you know on the flip side obviously ryan bates um going down really unfortunate injury there uh especially how it happened and that then again you're shifting all of at that point they were they were swimming uh, you know if, if i'm remembering correctly i mean ohio state then was really starting to overwhelm them um, along the lines, and then something like that happens with you know arguably your your best most solid offensive lineman goes down like that, and you know then you have to press into duty Chaz Wright. Um, it, it just 
it really threw them off. Um, so I, I think that's that's one of the biggest things that you know that I learned. I think we all learned from that game. Yeah, it was, and I almost feel like this is a different game if those two injuries don't occur in the trenches. I mean, there are things that happen there about as unfortunate as it can be. The, the one thing that you try your hardest not to plan for, but when your starting left tackle gets hurt and one of the more, most important pieces to your defensive line rotation get hurt, and it's a game that was ultimately decided on both ends, I would argue, in the trenches. Uh, it's it, it's just tough. Uh, Noel, what do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly the depth point is one that I think a lot of people bring up too. Um, just the fact that the depth, even the depth we thought we had was perhaps not ready for prime time, I think is another part of it too. A lot of the younger guys, which, like, I mean, that that's going to happen when a lot of the depth is made up of younger players who, uh, you know, are highly rated recruits but haven't seen the field a significant amount. But I think the other thing we learned um, to move off that point really is that uh, Ohio State is really, 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 really damn good. Um, and, and not that that's necessarily something anybody needed to learn, um, but JT Barrett just played the best game of his life, and this team looks so much different from the one that uh, Baker Mayfield flag planted on. And I think, obviously, you know, that's not going to take the sting out of the loss all that much. But the fact is, this is probably, this is arguably the best loss anyone has on their uh, their schedule. But I also think. Uh, the other thing we learned that we need to focus on more is that Penn State is no longer a second-half team, which was sort of the mantra we had last year. Uh, Penn State, for the majority of this year, has been a team with hot starts uh, who has... They played, I believe they played their worst team defense by a significant margin in the fourth quarter. Uh, if you uh, The, the, the um, football study hall isn't out yet for this week, but I think ultimately that's something that uh, is just sort of a new wrinkle. I mean, it's been sort of true the whole year, but it really played out here when you have a come-from-behind uh, loss like this, is that this is a team that starts hot and seems to sort of trail off at the end of games, and uh, they need to really find a way to reorganize that and you know keep the composure in the second half uh, because... The team that came out and played in the first half and the team that played in the second were shockingly different. Yeah, and I actually, while you were saying that, Noel, I did decide to go and look some stuff up, uh, namely about the, you know, the second half team thing that was, I, I, I mean, that was kind of the source for hope last year. So mm-hmm. far this season, Penn State's points allowed. Akron scored zero, Pitt scored 14, Georgia State scored zero. Iowa scored 19, Indiana scored 14, Northwestern scored 7, Michigan scored 13. Penn State allowed 20 through three quarters against Ohio State, which, I mean, if you ask James Franklin what he, you know, we're going to let up, we're going to give Ohio State 20 points through three quarters, how are you going to feel? He's going to feel really, really good about that. Yeah. And then they scored more points in the third quarter than any opponent had scored against Penn State all season. I mean, the fourth quarter was... 
it, and it goes yeah. to something that both of you mentioned in one way or another, which is just that at, at the end, Talon ultimately wins out. And this is not a knock on Penn State. I mean, last year, James Franklin's big thing was this is year one with how we finally have a full roster and we finally have, you know, depth of some type, not necessarily uh, veteran depth, not necessarily uh, depth that is ready to play, but we have some amount of depth. Last year was year one. Well, kind of to state the obvious, this is year two. There are still going to be growing pains and things like that. And there are a few bigger growing pains than playing a team the caliber of Ohio State that has recruited in the top. Someone wrote this somewhere, and I don't remember exactly where it is. But they've been in the top seven of 24-7's team rankings for the last, like, six or seven years. I mean, they're just a Mm -hmm. constant pipeline of getting talent into a program and you look up and down their coaching staff, they have guys who have a proven track record of also developing talent and turning it into, you know, guys who are going to be able to compete at the highest level. And I think ultimately that's what beat Penn State. That, namely the Ryan Bates injury, because Ohio State, for how good it is, the crown jewel of that football team is its defensive line. They have no fewer than five guys, I think, who, whether it's next year, the year after that, or sometime in the future, are going to be first-round NFL draft picks. And Penn State's worst unit is its offensive line. It lost its most important offensive lineman to an injury. And Ohio State, once that happened, they start looking at their chops and go, okay, so the offensive line left to right is a redshirt freshman who has started like two games, a redshirt sophomore who has been playing well this year but is still finding his way a true sophomore center, a senior right guard, and then kind of just the guy that they plug and play whenever they need to get someone in there at right tackle. Like It was just a bunch of things coming together along with the fact that, again, JT Barrett played the game of his life. I mean, his entire thing with Ohio State fans coming into this game was, well, JT's been great for us, but in those big games, he's been known to uh, not play up to the level that we expect of him. He played to that level. And I think this entire thing just taught us that something that Matt wrote uh, today, Penn State is closing the gap. The gap still exists between the Alabamas and the Ohio States. If you want to say the Georgias, fine. If you want to say just, you know, those quote-unquote elite programs in college football, there is still a gap between them and a Penn State team that is working to get to that point and is probably ahead of where that schedule should be, which for me, it takes the sting off of the loss. If it doesn't for other people, whatever, but that gap does still exist. And it's evident when you go back and you watch that fourth quarter and you watch how Ohio state just dominated basically all 15 minutes of that period. Uh, And that kind of gets us into our next point. And no, I'm going to start with you on this and this is just asking a very simple question, and I want to hear your answer because I've heard and seen so many answers to this that I want to kind of be able to have a discussion about a few different things, which is how did Penn State, which again went into the fourth quarter up 35-20 to 20 and looked like it wasn't going to cruise to a win, but if they kept playing the way they were playing, they were going to be able to take down Ohio State. How did Penn State end up losing this game? 
well, I think the the most important one, the biggest factor, is the one that you talked about before. It's the the battle of the trenches. Uh, Penn State lost this game because Ohio State's defensive line and JT Barrett got together and decided to win this game. Uh, I think is a good way to put it. I think that the combination of the bait, which we've talked about at length just the relative struggle um, that there's been for the offensive line, specifically the right side of the line. But now obviously pretty uh, it was all over at this point in time. Once Bakes goes down, you have to scramble uh, that paired with Ohio state having one of the like most talented defensive lines people have seen in recent memory is uh, a factor for disaster. I mean, if you go back to, Penn State's last drive, McSorley, and for, for most of the second half of the game, Trace was running for his life, and he he didn't have a single chance at an open receiver the entire uh, the entire final drive. All, all four downs, he didn't have a shot, and I think that was pretty indicative of the, the battle in the trenches of finding that, but also JT Barrett decided to put together one of the most impressive quarters perhaps in the history of college football and went full, you know, what people thought JT Barrett would be when he took over for Braxton Miller as a freshman. That was the JT Barrett who played that quarter. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, that's it's hard to it's hard to beat a guy who's that multifaceted playing at the top of his game. Uh, I think there's one other factor where you'd say how did Penn State lose this game was um, the conservative nature of offensive play calling in the second half, and I didn't even necessarily disagree with it. Um, I think after the Rose Bowl, a lot of people were willing to say, well, if you have those late leads, you should be less aggressive, and I've I've believe that that's generally been a good solution, but with the sort of error Ohio State was catching, uh, a more conservative play call scheme and a lot of those, like a lot of the the draws to, like the, the read draws to Saquon, they weren't quite read options. Um, that ended in five-yard losses uh, were things that needed to be snuffed out of the playbook quicker once we realized they were going nowhere. So I think those three are really my uh, my big takeaways as to how Penn State lost this game. Yeah, and it's so funny you mentioned that last one. because One, because uh, there was a state uh, stat that our pal Nate Bauer tweeted out, which was that Barkley had 12 carries for 80 yards and 9 for negative 36 yards. And then in the second half, 8 of his 14 carries went for negative yardage. I mean, again, just a bunch of factors coming together. And... That that's one of those things, and I know you're not doing this because I know, like you would say this through hell and high water. But it's one of those things where, uh, as Twitter user at oh wow likes to do, it's a you know fan. It's one of those things that fans would say you have to feed twenty six because he's your best player. But no, not like that because that's not working. Well, obviously yeah. that yeah, no, I know what you mean. Right? Yeah, it's that thing. Um, there was one other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to point out, but I don't remember what it is. So, Trev, we'll just go to you, and you'll say something that is probably more insightful than whatever I was going to say. Oh, yes, absolutely. It will be. Um, <laughs> so going off of what, what Noel said about, um, you know, kind of the conservative nature of the play calling, um, you know, I'm one of those I, – I bristle a lot at 
the the term play calling um, yeah. when you know looking at you know in game analysis. Um, one of the things I, I do not pretend to know football more than people who play it, who coach it, who analyze it. I'm just a fan. I watch it on my couch. I see screenshots and gifs on my phone. You know, I, I really don't know inside <laughs> the, the inside nature of, of of you know how football works. Um, that being said, I think what really showed is you know Penn State found itself in a position where a lot of things were going right for them, even when things were going wrong. And so when they got into got to a point in that you know third quarter where you know, th- trouble started coming. And then obviously in the fourth, um, I think they, it, it felt like watching it, they felt, it felt like they were trying to be a team that they weren't um, because they knew we have to, we have to try and clock this. We have to run plays to, um, you know, keep drives moving, but also keep that clock moving. And the problem, you know, as we've discussed ad nauseum at this point is the defensive line of the Buckeyes controlled it so much at that point. The Penn State could not do what they wanted to do, which was to hand it to Barkley or do an RPO where Trace is keeping it and he's diving forward for seven, you know, and it's second and three and they can take their time a little bit. Just never got to that point. So I think they they felt like they couldn't be as aggressive as they normally are because that could lead to incompletions. Um, And certainly Ohio State was just pushing them back on several um, on several things, because one of the, you know, as um, Bill, when you threw the question out beforehand, the thing that I look at is, and it's certainly a, a big point in the game, but it's kind of it kind of builds toward it um, is when Barrett fumbles, you know, and Sharif Miller recovers it, yep. and yep. you know, Penn State starts out at Ohio State's forty-two, and first play is, you know, they're pushed back seven yards. You know, so you, you yeah. lose seven right away. So you're at second and 17. Then it's incomplete. Then you're at third and 17. You know, Barkley goes for six. And then what happens? You know, the blocked punt. So, yeah, blocked punt, okay, you know, we're, we're not used to special teams. We've really taken it for granted. I mean, it showed itself earlier in the game. You know, first play. Um, and, and, and so that was certainly shocking. But I think what was even more shocking for me looking back on it is it took Ohio state two plays to score after that block punt. You know, they took over, um, at Penn state's 41, you know, certainly they're, they're on their end, but they're not down at you know, the 17 yard line, you know, inside the 20 and, and Ohio, Penn state just made it way too easy for those series of events to occur. You know, the, 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 the three and out blocked punt, and then two plays, and it's 35-27. And then it's, you know, all hell breaks loose, basically. Yeah, and I, I do want to clarify, I know you. this is something that you, like, you know, it's in there with you, but just to go on the record with it, like, Ohio State did also take this game. It wasn't, because this mm-hmm. is one thing, you know, Penn State blew it, Penn State blew it, Penn State blew it. And it's not that you're saying this, but I've heard that, like, what you're saying as an argument for something else. Ohio State did win this. Like, they went out and they took advantage of every single mistake that Penn State made. So, all credit to them for that. And just remembering the thing I was going to say to Noel, uh, Trace had no time to throw, yes. 
And that was for a pair of reasons. One, the defensive line was killing him. But also, when your defensive line is able to get into a backfield as easily as they can, that means you can drop back seven guys. And when Penn State's throwing, you know, they're throwing three receivers out there, sometimes four if Gasecki's going out for a pass or Saquon is going out for the pass, and sometimes five if, you know, they're just putting everyone out there, that, like, there's just not enough space to take advantage of that. Whatever. The thing that I'm going to say with how did Penn State lose this game uh, is, and this is something that, please do not turn off the podcast after I say this. I want to have a chance to explain this. This entire game, I would argue, was basically played on Ohio State's terms. Consider the fact that Ohio State had 529 total yards to 283 for Penn State. Penn State... To its credit, it took advantage of mistakes that Ohio State was making, uh, whether it was Barkley's kickoff return, well, returns, because he had, uh, oh no, he did only have one that he was able to break off. I could have sworn he had the other, oh no, the other one was Koa Farmer, who, Mm -hmm. which, that's an up man returning a kickoff 59 yards. Like, that is a mistake by Ohio State. They had several uh, fumbles, like, fumbles and I, yeah. And Penn State was able to take advantage of those. They only punted three times. Like, so basically what Ohio State was doing was either A, shooting itself in the foot, or B, giving the ball to, by giving the ball to Penn State, or whether it was the numerous penalties they committed early in the game, or they were doing what they wanted to do. And again, I think this is a reflection of the fact that I think Ohio State is – to no fault of Penn State, again, I have to stress this, a better football team. I think the fact that Penn State was there in a position to win it uh, speaks volumes to their ability to take advantage of things, and it deserves a ton of credit. But I also think that was a game that Ohio State probably should have won by more than one point. And when Bill Connolly puts out his uh, puts out his adjusted scoring margin on Monday... I'm going to bet almost any sum of money that it's going to be Ohio State. It's going to show they should have won by way more than one point. Yeah. Maybe pushing double digits, I don't know, but it's going to be something that I think kind of opens up Penn State's eyes. And again, Penn State deserves credit. They were able to get in there. They were able to win the game. I win the game up until the last minute and 42 seconds or something like that. I mean, Penn State literally went from the opening kickoff they, well, opening kickoff to nearly the very end of the game. Like, that is something that yeah. deserves a ton of credit and deserves a ton of, a, ton of applause. But at the end of the day, Ohio State won it. Like, it's something that happens. It's something that sucks. Uh, I go back to what Treb said, and I actually think of something that uh, Des Bryant tweeted during the Super Bowl, which was that, Atlanta got conservative. If Atlanta goes conservative, it will be the ball game. Keep the foot down and win the game and don't leave hope for Tom Brady or else it'll be a moment for him. Well, kind of that same thing happened. Penn State got conservative, kind of because they kind of had to get conservative and try and kill as much clock as they could. And it left the door open in a way that it left the door open in a way that I need to stress the coaching staff did not want to happen. Penn State's coaching staff was not coaching to lose that football game. They were co- like, I hate that I have to say this. They were coaching because this was they thought this was their best opportunity to win the football game, and mm-hmm. they ended up ga- guessing wrong. 
It's something that happens. I'm not going to sit here and say that if Trace McSorley drops back and starts chucking it, that Penn State's going to score more points. I mean, no, maybe. I don't know. Um, but sports are not black and white. Just because one thing doesn't work doesn't mean the opposite thing would work. In fact, the opposite thing could have ended even more poorly than the one that we saw. It happens. I'm Again, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm not upset about it. I'm very upset. I was doing this thing where I was cheering for Penn State all game, uh, which I've been known to do a time or two, but they lost and whatever. And, uh, you know, there's, we'll talk about what's next in a second, but like just, Trev, like how are you feeling today? Because I've seen a lot of people, a lot of emotions ranging from, you know, some people going, listen, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. This is something that probably should have happened. Um, Penn State probably should not have gone into Columbus and given Ohio State a game for 60 minutes, all that stuff. And then I've seen the other side, which is like, do you know what would be really great if the black hole at the center of the galaxy expanded and swallowed us whole right now? So, like, where are you on that spectrum? Just from the uh, perspective of this football game, not from the perspective of, like, oh, I have, to, I have a car payment to do sometime later this week. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, I, but part of it goes to I, – I, for me, it's, it's individual personality. Um, and I'm the type of fan where, uh, I think, uh, especially as I've gotten older, um, that, you know, it gives me a little bit of a different perspective. And this one certainly stings. Um, you know, Bill, I'll, I'll disagree with you a little bit and, and I'll tell you why I disagree on this, but, you know, saying that Ohio state pretty much did what they wanted. I, I, and, and that, that really impacted a lot of the game. There was this, there was an element to that, but, Penn State with an opening kick return for a touchdown that then led Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes to take some ridiculous tactics um, on on subsequent kicks. I mean, I, it was. Yeah, totally. I, I'm I'm actually shocked that they survived having to do that. You know, I mean, and Coba Farmer nearly housed one because of those what they were trying to do there. Um, you know, Penn State had them on their heels, and so that's why everybody, you know, they feel like uh, I, I understand the anger. For me, it's there's a tinge of disappointment. Um, you know, being a father, I look at it more as like a learning lesson too for this team for sure. because, and we'll and we'll talk about this. Yeah, I know I'm going back to you know my, my dad my dad uh, angles here, but um, <laughs> you know, this is I I look at this as. You know, I've seen this too. College football is is wild. Things can happen. Okay. You know, last year, um, following you know the pick game, uh, I'm sorry, following uh, the Michigan game, we we were not talking about Big Ten championship possibilities. For sure. Okay. I'm not saying that Penn State is on the same at a higher level now. Of you know, maybe the playoff is still there. But hey, listen, it still could happen. I'm not going to say that it's going to happen, but what this, what I'm trying to get to is, Penn State needs to harness the anger, and that's what I took away from that. I thought, you know, God, you had it right there, and a play here or there goes Penn State's way, and they win. It's not like they maybe just maybe they win. They win. Um, that's how close it was. It was it was going to be a knife fight. Everybody was talking about it, and it was. And and so I'm disappointed, but I'm also still hopeful. You know, I picked them. I, I'm one of those stooges. I said, "Oh yeah, twelve and zero," because mostly my picks before the season are, are kind of goofy too. I'm like, 
I'm not great at prognosticating, but you know, I mean, it's still, it's still there for them to do something, to do some damage, have fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm no, by no means any doom and gloom here. It sucks, but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, first off, do you think that like, after urban, after they allowed that massive return by Koa Farmer, like someone just tapped Urban on the shoulder and went, "Hey, so he like returned kicks for them last year, so that's probably <laughs> probably like that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that that was awesome. Like, but it's Penn State. You should know that our linebackers returned kicks. It's a time honored <laughs> tradition. He, he was a safety at the time. In fairness, <laughs> to him, I, I will give him all credit for that. But uh, well, first things first. Uh, like I, it, it's so weird, isn't it? Because I'm I'm going to guess that most Penn State fans before the season, and a good number of them heading into this game, were saying, yeah, I think Ohio State is probably going to beat Penn State. Oh, yeah, I think Penn State's going to be 11-1 and one, or, so, or mm-hmm. something like that. And in practice, that is so much harder than in theory. Like, when we were sitting there, you know, on our sofas saying all this stuff in, uh, you know, July and August, it was like, okay, yeah, we know what's going to happen whatever oh well and then it finally happens we go oh god wow this is a terrible feeling and i never want to experience this again like it's <laughs> it's very funny how that works out but i for me like i tweeted it something at halftime that i thought that if penn state could get to 42 points that was the magic number because i could not see a way in which ohio state scored uh at the time it would have been 25 points i believe in the second half and Knowing that they were so close to that sort of thing is, it's the thing that makes me upset. The fact that, listen, there was kind of a magic number for Penn State and they didn't reach it and that's why they lost. But it also makes me go, hey, listen, like Penn State had, it had that bar that I set, like, for me, and again, this is different for everyone, but the bar that I set was get to 42 points in the second half. Some point in the second half, they're going to win this football game. They nearly won this by not reaching that. They found ways to win this game up until Ohio State took it from them, which that's incredibly painful and incredibly mm-hmm. sad, and it's the kind of thing that uh, I'm going to guess that if we walked around Lash uh, at some point on Sunday or really in the locker room after the game, it would have been a lot of James Franklin having to pump some dudes up because they would have just been really down in the dumps. But it's also the kind of thing that makes you go, we did not play our best football game. We did not execute the way that we wanted to. We lost two really important players in various ways over the course of this game. And yet we lost by one point in one of the five or ten toughest to play, places to play in the sport against a team that, I mean, by S&P Plus heading into this week, was the number one team in the country. Of course, you know, their rankings are a little bit different. Rankings are subjective. S&P Plus is fact. Uh, all hail Dill C, all that stuff. But they still manage to be there and almost get over that hump. And I know that almost sucks and almost is incredibly painful, and watching a team do that when they have a generational talent like Saquon Barkley really, 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 really hurts. But it's also the kind of thing that makes you go, well, what happens when 
next year when they're returning. Yes. Let me let me do the math. I yeah. think eight players on offense and probably six or seven on defense, and they're replacing them with guys who were four and five star recruits, and they're going to develop that talent and get to a point where you're not losing these really tight games against teams that are college football's elite by one point, but maybe you're finally winning these games. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, just maybe, there are reasons for optimism here, both over the course of the rest of the season and going forward. And I'm trying to look at it that way because if I don't, I will probably get really, really sad and just like sit on my couch <laughs> and listen to Julian Baker or something like that. Uh, Noel, we don't want feel? that. Well, I, I mean, she's very good, but neither here nor there. Noel, how no, are you I, feeling? Just, uh, well, I guess I'll I'll sort of take the. I mean. I have my optimistic side and my pessimistic side. So if you'd asked me that question 24 hours ago, I would have told you the sky is falling and this is a horrible nightmare. I'll never wake up for Uh, But I say that about most days. So, uh, but really looking at it today, especially going through the scenarios I'm writing right now about how, what Penn State's path to playoff is. 538, if Penn State wins out, still has Penn State at, as it stands, as a 20% shot at the playoffs. Um, and and uh, just to be clear, that uh, 538 team is just if Penn State wins out. It's not yep. including any other thing that could happen, which it's college football, weird things happen every week. Yeah, but there's that, I mean, Jer- simulating out through the rest of the season, Jerry Palm has Penn State still getting in number four. Even the AP poll, they only dropped to number seven, um, which, and obviously the one that matters is the CFP poll, so we'll find out Tuesday. But uh, I'll say it, it definitely stings. It sucks. Uh, it's one of the most heartbreaking loss. I mean, I've only, I've been a Penn State fan since, what, I guess 2010, um, so a shorter time than most on the staff, but I would put it up there with most like gut wrenching losses um, I've ever witnessed. But I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. I mean, this team isn't out of it, right? Um, if there are a number of two lost conference champions, there's a good shot that Penn State could get in over them. Um, the schedule down the road includes, I mean, who knows, Michigan State maybe will be number 25 or something um, when we play them. But Michigan, the win at Michigan is going to look better and better if that offense is really sorted out. Um, same thing, Northwestern win looks even better with them beating Michigan State. Um, Wisconsin is not actually that good and will... They, uh, my hot take is that they're gonna lose to Indiana. Indiana's finally gonna get that one Go close home game against the conference power. Go who's? <laughs> um, but I'm feeling way more optimistic than I was even this morning. After you know, I let the emotions subside, went through the logic, but the emotional side of me is still sad. I don't know. I'm I'm one of those people who for stupid reasons like let's sports dictate my mood a little bit too much like in the near aftermath of a game um which i'm sure happens to a lot of people and it sucked but not only is the sky not falling the path is 
not nearly as unimaginable as it would have seemed uh, when JT Barrett took that final knee. So I'm cautiously optimistic, I think is a good way to put it. Also, I'm, I'm kind of playing around with the simulator also. In the event that Penn State wins out and Ohio, let's say, just hypothetically, Ohio State loses next week and Penn State wins out. So Ohio State goes and gets kinicked. And then Penn State blackout, blackout. Listen, <laughs> Iowa. Uh, for once in your life, you could do something good. So please do that. <laughs> but let's say that happens, and Penn State wins out five thirty eight. Then gives Penn State a forty two percent chance of making the playoff. Uh, Ohio State twenty six percent, Wisconsin twenty nine percent. So that looking at those simulations, a little bit silly. Uh, and this gets us to our last thing. Just going forward this season, like. Just what are your general – and we'll start with you, Noel, since, you've again, you've been playing around with this playoff stuff. Uh, you're the angry person. Uh, just generally, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the rest of this season uh, going forward? And we're saying this uh, – I'm asking this two minutes after James Franklin tweeted out his uh, time to focus our attention on Michigan State, Michigan State, Michigan State tweet. Well, uh, I mean, that's true, and um... – it's you know it you we still have to go one and zero every week to end the season. Like there's no there is there's nothing a two loss Penn State team gets to play in like what the the Capital One Bowl or something. A two loss Penn State team is doesn't have a chance. So they they need to win out. James Franklin is a hundred percent correct. Obviously. Uh, that they need to focus on the upcoming slate and not get hung up on uh, what is a pretty heartbreaking loss. Uh, Penn State wins out, and they still have a it's a it's a dogfight now in the the top eight or nine or so, but still has a very legitimate shot with some help of making the playoff um, going forward. Just in general, uh, I guess I'll point out a few a few things I'd like to see. I think it'll work. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'd very much like to see a, um, you know, and an improvement on the offensive line, um, just in terms of some consistency. The line's not going to be great. I mean, we're, you know, we're far enough into season, eight weeks into the season now, or nine, nine weeks technically, eight games. Um, but just holding up enough such that Trace McSorley doesn't look like he's being like chased by rabid animals every time he drops back. And I don't think you're going to see that with any of the lines we're going to play for the rest of the season. Michigan State's got a pretty good defense. Rutgers has a low-key pretty good defense, but nobody <laughs> has the horrifying people eaters that Ohio State has. Um, but just some more consistent offensive line play so Trace doesn't start getting the... Uh, sort of happy feet and concern that he's going to be hit all the time. Um, I'd like to see more from Joe Moorhead in terms of creative ways of getting Saquon the ball, uh, which is a weird thing to say because he, you know, opened that playbook big time against Michigan and Saquon's obviously been incredible. And Joe Mo's maybe the best offensive coordinator in the country, but against Ohio state, uh, Saquon got bottled up, and there weren't a, that many 
there wasn't that as big of a push to get him into position uh, to make big plays. And obviously part, part of that is just, there's just only so much you can do, um, you know, when you're getting gobbled alive like that. But I'd like to see even more of an emphasis on getting him the ball in creative or non-traditional situations. Uh, and maybe if, if Joe has that, uh, that, that secret play uh, from the James Franklin talked about in the Michigan game, something like that. Uh, but just something to really get the offense sparked and going again. And what I, what I'd really like to see going forward above all else, above just individual detailed thing is just four solid whoopings to end the year uh, yep. to force the committee to keep us out. Yeah. And I, not, I don't know if anything would make me happier than watching Penn State suddenly turn into just like this uh, harbinger of death. I mean, that would be really awesome yeah. if they just start like mowing teams down. Like Michigan, if they can mow down Michigan State, I'm going to yeah. sit here and I'm going to say that I think that a lot of Penn State fans are going to feel. I don't know if they should feel really good about this, but I think they're going to start feeling really, really good about this team. And yeah. Mm-hmm. how it deserves to be in that playoff discussion. And then, of course, I mean, Rutgers, for how, like you said, Loki, good that defense is, that game's here. Uh, Nebraska is a tire fire, and Maryland, <laughs> by that point, it'll be on probably at 7th or 8th string quarterback, so whatever. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Trev, what do you think? Yeah, I, I really want to see them come out on Saturday and just thunder dunk. Sparty. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. really, I, you know, I said it earlier, um, you know, harness the anger. I'm sure there's a lot of mm-hmm. anger I, I, in that locker room, um, you know, knowing how, how hard they worked. Um, I mean, you know, coming off a week where they just they blasted Michigan, I mean, it really just blasted them. And, you know, unfortunately, they probably put enough on tape, um, you know, offensively to give Ohio state a good enough look on, okay, here's how, here's how they're going to approach some things, especially along the fronts, along the trenches. Um, you know, so they put in all this work and still, again, it goes back to, they lost by one point in the shoe on a really, really wild second half, you know? So when was the last um, time they played that well in the shoe? Like, uh, right. I mean, you know, I look back at the, you know, the 2008, I know they won in, what was it? Um, uh, was it 12? 2011 or 12. 2011. Yeah. 20, yeah. 2011. Don't you dare try and take Tom Bradley's one win away from him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, you know, I go back to that, that 2008 game. I mean, that was just one of those things where that was a game where it was like, okay, who's going to mess up? You know, it wasn't necessarily a well-played game in spurts. This was a well-played game in spurts. Granted with mess ups, but it just, it felt differently. Um, Talent level on both sides was just so much higher. Um, You know, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, it was one of the best games they've played in the shoe and it it never felt like, Oh, they don't belong here. No, it felt like, no, they belong here and they're going to win this. And so I, I hope that they, they, you know, harness that. And, and like Noel was saying, just use that on their opponents and, and make it really difficult for the committee. Um, 
you know, the other thing is looking more on an individual standpoint. Yeah, I mean, every do everything you can to get Saquon touches, touchdowns, whatever. Win that man the Heisman. Um, and the reason I say that is that's going to help Penn State in the long run. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, being able to point to that, and I have to say, in 1973, John Capaletti won the Heisman, and you know, having like kids looking glassy-eyed at the photo with Capaletti and his sideburns. I love him, love him, but uh, <laughs> this is something where it also, aside from everything that he's doing on the field, it helps modernize Penn State even more if they can do yeah. that. Um, and then from an individual, another individual perspective. I really would love to see Juwan Johnson come back. Um, you know, he, he showed early flashes this year. Um, and we were hearing it all, you know, during camp, during, um, uh, you know, in the summer um, about he was ready to take the leap. And he looked like he showed it. You know, obviously, um, and Kinnick showed up big time. But I think, we, you know, we need some, some more consistency. Um, from him. Um, and I'm sure the coaches would love to see that as well. Cause Deshaun Hamilton has really stepped up, um, uh, in the absence of, of Chris Godwin this year. Um, so, you know, Juwan Johnson is, is somebody I really want to see what can he do because next year it's him, you know, he's yeah, going to be the guy that they're going to be, yeah, he, they're going to be looking at him. So, you know, if we can start to see some more of those steps there, that'd be great. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, hoping, I don't know the extent of, uh, you know, if, how, what happens, how that's going to affect him long-term this season. Um, but, you know, they need him right. They need him to get right. Um, you know, th- th- those are kinds of the things that I'm, I'm looking for going forward. I obviously want him to win out, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm actually looking at uh, the receivers for next year. And Hamilton's gone, Blacknell's gone, so it's going to be a lot of uh, Juwan Johnson and, DeAndre Tompkins, who that was a catch, uh, that was awesome. Uh, I like, yeah. I w- I went from just absolutely devastated to the first replay, like jumping up and down on my couch. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yes. But yeah, uh, first things first. I think the obvious thing here uh, is something that we've all and I, I agree that to everyone who's called out our site on this, I agree with you. Uh, Tommy Stevens needs to be the starting quarterback. I mean, like yesterday. <laughs> Right obviously now, obviously kidding. I actually, uh, we were talking about this before the pod. Uh, if you're going by QBR, which is Trent Dilfer's made-up statistic to make himself look like a statistics man, uh, Trey McSorley's total QBR was uh, 2.1 points lower than JT Barrett's. Which, considering how Barrett, very rightly so, has gotten a ton of credit for playing the game of his life and playing a game that propelled him into the Heisman race. Uh, on a pretty smaller sample size, McSorley played very well yesterday, so uh, shout out to Trace McSorley. I loved what you said, Trev, about almost making like a concerted effort to get Saquon Barkley a Heisman. Uh, you, he has so many moments, whether it's the opening touchdown against Michigan, whether it's uh, the opening kickoff against Ohio State, or even his touchdown run against Ohio State for how much, uh, how he struggled to get there. I thought he did a, like, that was the kind of moment they could put on some kind of a Heisman tape for him. Uh, like you said, that's the thing, that's the thing that helps you as you're, helps you in recruiting. It adds a little bit more heft to your program. I mean, this is a bit of an apples and oranges comparison, but a player winning a Heisman literally made Baylor football a thing. Like, it is yeah. 
a very mm-hmm. impactful thing, and I would not mind at all that concerted effort. And then, yeah, it's like it's just so easy, isn't it? Like, I understand. To me, the reason the loss hurt so bad yesterday was Penn State's uh, Penn State's future and Penn State's opportunity to play for a Big Ten championship and a national championship are now no longer in Penn State's hands. And that's why it hurt so much for me because I like knowing that Penn State was in control of everything. And if Penn State was going to be kept out, it would have been because the committee did something unprecedented and left out an undefeated conference champion, which was never going to happen. But they just did everything they needed to do to get there. And now that's gone. And that's why it hurts. But they can still... Like both of you kind of alluded to in one way or another, they could still make it very, very difficult to keep them out as the best team that did not win their conference, say for probably Georgia, uh, assuming that Alabama's going to beat them in the SEC title game. But Penn State still has the potential to, if they're not going to make something of the season by winning a championship which would be very, very, very surprising. Uh, it would be, you know, just compete every week, go out, do the one and oh this week thing, get in a position where you're the best one-loss team in the country come at the end of the year. And if not, and you're going to a different New Year's Six Bowl and you're playing Clemson in the Orange Bowl or something like that, hey, that's awesome. That's still great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the you know, national championship that we wanted Penn State to have a chance to play for, uh, you know, 36 hours ago. But it's it, it's still something that we could be happy about and we could say, hey, you know what, awesome, Penn State made something really special this season. And, yeah, it, it all starts with going out and beating Michigan State this week and channeling whatever anger or sadness or whatever they might feel into – an absolute beatdown of a pretty solid football team. Uh, I mean, if, Pe- if Michigan State is currently third in the Big Ten East, like they are also four and one uh, after a pretty surprising loss to Northwestern uh, last week. So it's not like if Penn State, Penn State's going to get a chance to just walk all over an opponent. They're going to have to work for this one. They're going to have to earn this one. Michigan State's still Michigan State, but that means they have a chance to make some kind of a statement and. Let me tell you, it would be really, really cool to watch them come out and just run train on Michigan State in Ann Arbor, not in Ann Arbor, uh, in East, East Lansing. Lansing. Yes. Yeah, uh, just do what we did to them last year. Same thing. That'd be cool. Yeah. If you do literally the exact same thing, we get that petty James Franklin uh, going, hey, <laughs> you know what? We don't appreciate how you had an offensive lineman run up the score on us. That is <laughs> cool. I mean, yeah. if, you, if Penn State wanted to do that, that'd be something. But yeah, I mean, we've... Uh, I think that's probably it for this edition of the podcast. There's anything that either of you would like to add? Uh, go Stanford. They play Washington and Notre Dame. And yes, yes. all Penn State fans should be huge tree boys coming up. Uh, if they want to beat those teams but then lose to, like, I, I don't want to say Washington State because if Washington State wins out, they will pr- – there's a not eh. – oh, no. yeah, I, I don't think – So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think a two-loss Pac-12 team, Pac-12 champion, beats us, but maybe. Right. So let's leave it no doubt. Let's have them. So the winner of the Pac-12 should lose three games. 
So Wazoo, if you want to beat them this week, beat Stanford this week, and then Stanford, and you want to just run the table on everyone. Yeah, uh, perfect. And if someone wants to take out Arizona while they're at it, I mean, Arizona, like they're going to have that end of year hype probably neither here nor there. But yeah, there's all these, all these things that have to happen, and it would be really cool if every single one of them happened. Uh, yeah. Trev, do you have any uh, final thoughts you want to add? I just want to give a shout out to the top loser in college football, one Pat Narduzzi. <laughs> love, love tweeting that keep being the big lame loser that you are it shows out real well yeah i like i had more or less forgotten about him until he picked a very 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 not uh not accidental time to tweet how happy he was that Pitt was able to beat virginia uh <laughs> um i I just had to resist making like a beat Virginia, beat Virginia joke. So just everyone, congratulations. You avoided disaster. Uh, oh, yeah. wait, one question. Go ahead. Who do you think wins more conference games, pit football or pit, pit, pit basketball this year? Pit basketball is more chances. So I'll give it to them. Fun. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, uh, UNC, they might be. Oh, uh, Yeah. Our annual Thursday night Pitt UNC football game is this week, and then they're going to go get murder killed by Virginia Tech and Miami. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, like, I I wasn't thinking about how I'm going to make a concerted effort to tie Pat Narduzzi to every job opening until he tweeted that, and now I'm just like, you know what? This off season, like. I am no longer going to be employed by Penn State as of Tuesday afternoon, so I don't have to worry about decorum or anything like that. I'm just going to have a whole hell of a lot of fun with it. So <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But yeah, uh, Pat Narduzzi, if by some uh, magical uh, twist of fate you made it to the 53-40 mark of our podcast and uh, just to listen to this, like, you're a sick man and I hate you. And yeah, I really, really, like, I'd say I can't wait for Pitt. Or to woman. Be- yeah, or woman, okay. okay. You know. Yeah. I will not gender Pat Narduzzi. That's fair, that's fair. Uh, sure. But yeah, if Pat Narduzzi, I'd say I cannot wait for Pitt to fire you, but I also want James Franklin to beat the hell out of him every week, every year. So whether it's in football, in recruiting, in uh, being likable, whatever it is, uh, yeah, go State. Uh, so yeah, I think that's it for this edition of Roar Lions Radio, as always. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Overcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Make it a nice one. We'd appreciate that very much. Uh, follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, Roar Lions Roar. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Keep buying shirts. They're very nice. I promise you will love one if you haven't gotten one yet. And yeah, one last time for Mike Treb and Noel Purcell. I'm Bill DeFillipo. Take care, everyone.